Welcome to the Propel Podcast, inspiration and training to grow your church. I'm your host, Larry Witzel. Seventh-day Adventist churches grow differently, and our goal with this podcast is to offer practical training for effective evangelism in the Adventist ministry context. Today, we feature a presentation by Bill McClendon, Vice President for Administration and Evangelism Director for the North Pacific Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. After a career in business and IT, McClendon began his ministry in 2000 as a church planter in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This new church quickly became one of the fastest-growing churches in North America. Later, he pastored a church in Ellicott, Maryland, leading a revitalization effort to grow attendance from 75 to 300 in four years. He's also served the Oklahoma and Washington conferences as vice president for church growth before joining the North Pacific Union in 2018. In his presentation, Elder McClendon asked the question, why do some Seventh-day Adventist churches grow and others don't? He talks about the power of passion, vision, and faith, and inspires us to embrace God's plan for each of our churches to grow. I've known Bill for almost 15 years, and one thing I'll say about him is that he's pushed me to be better, better at marketing, at technology, at discipleship. Uh, He's a godly man with a passion for reaching the lost, and I was truly grateful that he spoke at this year's Propel Conference. We'll hear from Bill in just a moment. Before we get to his talk, though, I'd like to mention the Adventist Learning Community, the sponsor of this episode of the Propel Podcast. Adventist Learning Community is a Seventh-day Adventist ministerial and educational platform designed to strengthen professionals through continuing education courses, teaching courses, ministerial training, and dissemination of uniquely Adventist content for the church community and beyond. Their mission is to empower people with the passion and skills necessary to further the kingdom of Christ in the 21st century, and we appreciate their support for the Propel Conference. You can learn more at AdventistLearningCommunity.com. Okay, let's get on with the podcast. Here now is Bill McClendon's presentation at the 2023 Propel Conference, Are Your Dreams Big Enough? I want to kind of pick up and key off of what um, Jose was talking about, because this is something that we have long suspected in the Seventh-day Adventist church. You know, we love being Adventists. That's why we are Adventists. We love our church, and we're passionate about our church. And sometimes it's hard to take a critical look at the landscape of what is happening. We are the remnant church. We have a unique calling, and we want our church to do well. And we started, you know, a number of years ago, even a few decades ago, we were looking at the landscape and we were sensing something wasn't quite right. Something had changed. And what we were experiencing was we were seeing more and more churches not growing. And we would throw these numbers out. We would just kind of, you know, if you say it enough, it must be true. And so we would say, you know, 60% or 70% or 80% of the churches are uh, plateaued or declining. And I appreciate the division because part of this is we need to own where we're at. You know, you need a doctor that's going to tell you the truth. Say you're overweight, your blood pressure's high, you need to change the way you live or you're going to go uh, six foot under. I, we need that. And, and while it, is, it can be discouraging, it is a wake-up call. 
I really believe with all my heart we are facing a crisis in North America. Because those metrics, while I was part of that and I helped argue for some of those, a growing church only having 2%? Are you kidding me? I, I mean, this is the church of the, of the living God. This is, this is a church that God has promised the gates of hell is not going to prevail against our efforts as we go out and attack and attack the kingdom of darkness. So, you know, these, are, these, these numbers, while they are discouraging, I think they're soft. And, and what makes it even more alarming is that this didn't just started happening last year. This has been going on for a period of time. And I really believe that we are in the years of plenty. And what I mean by that is that not only do we see churches not growing the way that they should be growing, but we're seeing our congregations age. We're seeing churches with entire generational groups gone. And, and we have some very faithful Seventh-day Adventists lay people and even pastors that are getting uh, advanced in age, let me say it that way, and if something doesn't happen soon, we are not going to be just planting churches, we're going to be closing churches. And unfortunately, we're going to be closing them a lot quicker than we can plant them. So why, why are we facing a crisis? It is simply because this is not sustainable. The Seventh-day Adventist church, the whole model of governance is built on growth. We are a, a, a church that is built and within our structure anticipates growth. We have a capacity issue, not one that we don't have enough capacity, but the fact is most churches in North America can at least double in their attendance and not have to put one brick in place. That our, that our congregation, our sanctuaries are less than half full. Our, our schools are closing and struggling. Our universities are competing for a smaller and smaller number of people. And, and what will happen is our organization will implode unless we do something to change the course. I love what Jose said. The past does not have to be our future, but it is time for us to wake up. He mentioned attendance. Here in the Northwest, we take attendance seriously. And there was a time when we were pretty depressed that attendance fell below 50% of our church membership. It went past 50, and then it hit 40. And it even dropped below 40 here in the Northwest, and that is pre-COVID. You can't blame a pandemic for that. And so, friends, as I said, I believe that we're in the seven years of plenty because we have faithful Seventh-day Adventist church leaders out there. And they are giving to the church, and they are sacrificing for the church. And, and that boomer generation, as it gets older and begins to die off, we do not have, we have not yet discipled that next generation to, to provide that kind of financial support that the church needs in order to keep mission growing. Seven years of plenty. The reason why this has not reached a crisis level is because tithe continues to go up. Praise the Lord for that. Pray, God is so good. 
I remember when the pandemic was just starting, our officers gathered there in the conference room of the North Pacific, and we were planning for the worst. I mean, we, we anticipated that con- the churches were going to have to close, that we would not be able to meet to take offerings, and we were planning contingencies that would, that would allow us to sustain a 20, 30, even a 40% loss in tithe. And you guys know the story. God has shown us. He has ways. He, ha- he, has, he has ways that are so far above ours that we emerge from the pandemic where churches are not meeting and offerings are not being taken and the tithe increases. Oh, what a tithing testimony the church has for members that say they cannot trust God. So friends, I, I think the reason meetings like this are important is we need to step away. And we need to wrestle with some really important questions. We need to not only wrestle with questions, but we need to find answers. We need to pray. We need to be honest. And we need to search for answers. I believe the way forward is to ask some important questions. And it's simply this. Why do some churches grow and others don't? You know, we're not, we're not a part of a church where every church is in decline and every church is plateaued. There is a good 30% of our churches that are growing. They are bucking the trend. They are charting their own course and they are seeing impact in their community. Their churches are growing. Their churches are alive. There are, you know, there are young people in the church. We've got to ask the question, why do some churches grow and others don't. Now, I believe we need to do this within the context of the Adventist church. As my good friend and pastor, by the way, this is my home church. I was a little embarrassed when I came in. I had to ask where the restroom was because I'm hardly ever here because I'm other places. But uh, the, the, as my good friend, my pastor Roger says, and I agree with him, Adventist churches grow differently than non-Adventist churches. So we have to look within our own structure, but we have 30% of our churches that are growing in spite of the trend that most churches are not. We have to ask the question, why do church plants grow faster than established churches? That doesn't make any sense. It's counterintuitive. Church plants have nothing. They don't have a building. They don't have ministry. They don't have enough people. They don't have the portfolio of all the services that you could offer people. I mean, oftentimes, they're just behind a a banner on a Sabbath morning in a rented facility. How in the world could they grow when so many other churches have so much more? But yet they are. We need to ask the question, if all churches start out growing... And I believe they do, because when a church plant is planted, it has to grow or it dies. And there are many church plants that die. It's just part of it. But every church that has grown was once a church plant. So if all churches start out growing, it doesn't matter how long they've been a church Within their DNA, within their history, there is a period of time in which they grew. They know how to grow. They've just forgotten. 
If we can find the answers to these questions, I believe we can find a way to re-engage the, the 70% of our churches that are not growing. Now, I've, I've had some ministry experience, not much. I came into ministry a little bit later. It was a second career, as you may have heard. And, and the fact is, I've had the opportunity to plant one church, and I've had the opportunity to actually uh, revitalize two churches as a pastor and, and help coach a few others. And, and I can tell you that uh, as, as one that, that has seen God work, my first response to why other churches were not growing is, well, quite frankly, because I believed at one time that church leaders and pastors were lazy. I, I believe they're just not working very hard. Or they must not be very passionate. I have learned that is not the case. I have learned that dying churches have some of the hardest working members. It, it takes a lot of effort to keep a church alive. And I praise God that we have a lot of faithful people trying to keep that church together so that at one day it can be revived. Church planting is hard. Church revitalization, I believe, is easier because there is a lot that you can start with. The second thing I, 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 I want to dismiss, I want to dispel the myth, and that is the lack of growth in these churches is not because pastors or church leaders don't care about lost people. As, as, as Seventh-day Adventist congregations all over the United States, they are searching for answers. They want to be relevant. They want their church to grow. They want to be able to reach the community. They're just frustrated. They're frustrated. They're willing to do just about anything, but they don't have any answers. But I want you to know they're very sincere, God-loving church members. So we can't blame this on those two things. So what's the answer? Why do some churches grow and others don't? Let me share one more disappointing news with you. At least this is my opinion, and since I have the pulpit, I get to, I get to offer that. There, there is not a proven seven-point plan to grow any church. And that's what we're looking for. I mean, if we could come up with seven-step plan to help people grow a church, everybody would sign up. We love programs especially in the Seventh-day Adventist church. If I do this and this and this and this and this, I'll grow. And the reason we know that's not true is because there's not one way to grow a church. There are a hundred ways to grow a church. There's not one way to do evangelism, Jose. There are a hundred ways to do evangelism. So, so, you know, if it was just condensing it down to it, I know this from experience. As a pastor of that church in Tulsa, I had the opportunity to pastor there for about 11 years. We started as a church plant, and, and I pastored there for almost over a decade. And over the years, I saw many, many church leaders and pastors come to visit the church and try to find something that might work for them. And I would see them leave, and, they, and they, would, they would see that, well, we served breakfast every morning. And they were convinced 
If they just went home and started to serve breakfast for church, their church would begin to grow. It doesn't work that way. They saw some of the other things and they said, well, if we do that, we'll grow. It's not, it just doesn't work. That's why I, you know, people ask all the time, how do, how do you grow a church? And, and you know, the, the real answer is, I don't know. There are a lot of ways to grow the church. And so, friends, I, I, I want you to know that I have discovered something, I think, over the years as I've wrestled with this, because I have had my voice to this issue, we need to revitalize churches. I was talking to Jose about the first time he came in to the ministerial department. I was talking about it with Ron Cluzet before him. I was talking about it with Russell Burrell before him, that there is a crisis looming, and we don't want to bury churches. We want to raise them. We want to resurrect them. We want to revive them. Every single church was once a thriving congregation. We just need to figure out how to get them back to that. So here's something that I discovered that, that might blow your mind, but I believe that it's true, and it's simply this. There is very little difference between what a growing church does and what a declining church does. Very little difference. I know that because I've stepped into two congregations that were declining, and I can tell you they worshiped, they had Sabbath school, they did community outreach, they did, you know, path, they did all the things. I mean, they're busy doing all of these things that churches do. It's not what, it's why. Why you do something changes everything. You know, there's no virtue in being really busy if you're not effective. Somehow we value hard work, and, and, and maybe we should. But every once in a while, as church leaders, we've got to step back and say, is what we are doing working? I mean, yes, we're dedicated. Yes, we're working hard. Yes, we're spending a lot of money. But is it helping us achieve our goal? You see, in the Adventist church, we love to start stuff. And then we just keep it going no matter what. And the problem is we have limited resources. You know, every church struggles. We need to put resources towards things that are going to be effective. So friends, it's not what a church does. I believe that the answer, it's why the church does what it does. So I want to offer some of my conclusions and my belief. What is the secret? Why do some churches grow and others don't? I'm, I'm calling this the trifecta of church growth. And the good news is, it's not going to cost you a dime. Good news is, as a pastor or a church leader, you're not going to have to take inventory and say, well, that's not me. Because everything I'm going to put on this list is something God will give you. Because God can use anybody to grow a church. Here's the first one. Vision. Vision. Without it, churches don't even know what they're working towards. 
And this is why church plants are more effective than existing churches, because they have a very clear vision. They know why. They remember why they stepped out from that other church. They remember what this is about. And because they have a vision, they see what could happen. It drives them to do things that God will bless. Vision. The second one is passion. Passion doesn't cost you anything. But I tell you what, now is the time for the people of God to get passionate about the things of God. Get passionate about people. Passionate about lost people. Passionate about leading people to the kingdom. You know, most, most churches are passionate about something. But I wonder, is it passionate about the right things? Vision, passion, and faith. If you are armed with these three things, if these three things can be instilled in a pastor, a lay leader, or a church board, I'll guarantee you you'll grow. I don't know how. I don't know what you'll do. But I know if these three things are operating in your church, you're going to find a way to grow your church. You're going to find a way to reach people for the kingdom of heaven. It'll be impossible not to. You know, in fact, there is a place that we can go to find the answers within the Adventist church. Several years ago, Dr. Joseph Kidder in the seminary launched a research project, and you probably have seen this book. It's probably covered in dust in your bookshelf, but I believe it has answers for us today. It was, a, it was a, quite a, a simple idea. Let's look around the North American division and let's find churches that are growing. Let's look for those 30%. Let's look for those 30% of the churches that are growing and then let's compare them to churches that are not growing. But to, in order to help us to, to make sure that all things are equal, we'll find a city where one church is growing, an Adventist church is growing, and an Adventist church is not growing. I mean, they're trying to reach the same people. So all things being equal, it should reveal to us what is the difference. They, they, they highlighted three churches. Church A was a medium-sized city, strong evangelistic and discipling ministry, started with a handful of people, and after a period of eight years, 500 people attending. So what they did is literally a few miles down the street, there was another Adventist church that wasn't growing. And they interviewed the leadership of that church. And these are some of the statements of the church that was not growing. It's very difficult to work here. You ever thought that? You know the hardest place to reach people for the kingdom of God is in your own neighborhood. Everybody thinks it's easier across the street, across the city, across the ocean. The hardest place is right here, and this person believed that. It's very difficult to work here. The people are not interested in the Adventist message. Most of the people are Baptist or charismatic. The future? doesn't look good. The Baptists are getting stronger and we're getting weaker. Right down the road from this church is one of the fastest growing Adventist churches in North America.
and this is what they believed. Now, you can't tell me if you as a pastor or church leader or your church board believes it's difficult to work here, no one's interested, we won't be successful, that that won't transmit into, well, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Here's what the church A leader said. We love living here. The people in our city love God. We pray for them. We meet their needs. They keep coming to our church. God has been so good to us. Tell me an attitude, a vision doesn't make a difference. Here's another church. A large metropolitan area, 3 million people revitalized in the past 10 years. Culturally diverse congregations, strong leadership and preaching, about 500 people attending. Now you think these are all big churches. They're only big churches because they have been growing churches. Here are... Here are the, uh, another church in the same city trying to reach the same people. The leader said the reason they're not growing is because all, area, or excuse me, all the area churches are very strong Baptists and not interested in the Adventist message. Boy, we're giving the Baptists way too much credit. You know, their churches aren't growing either. You know that, right? When asked, are you telling me all three million people who live here are religious and churchgoers? There was no response. Right down the street from one of the fastest growing Adventist churches, there's no opportunity here, Jose. That's what they're saying. And if you believe that, what are you, what are you not going to do? What do you, what, what do you, you know, how you even, you don't, you're not even going to step up to the plate. You're not even going to try to swing at the ball. You, you already decided you're not going to be successful, so why bother? Why waste any effort? Here's the church B, the growing church. We're not intimidated by challenges. Our role is to pray, to have effective ministries and evangelism. And God's role is to send the people to us. Wow. One more. This is actually a church up in the Northwest area. Suburb of a large city, very secular, unchurched population. Attendance doubled to 450 to 500 over a number of years. Strong, innovative community outreach. A growing church right down the street. This is, what, this is what the other church said. We live in one of the most secular places in the world, which make it very difficult to do any kind of evangelism. People here don't think about God, and they don't need him. And they certainly don't need the church. Looking to the future, they said, it's going to become more difficult. Wow. Leaders. Leaders in God's church thinking that way, believing that way. No vision for what God could do. No belief. They don't even believe the words of Jesus when he says the harvest is plentiful. Not here. No. What did the church sea leaders say? The best thing that ever happened to me was to be here. The people in our area have no church connections or ties. We pray for them. We minister to their needs and they come to our church. Kind of reminds me, a lot of people have heard the story of the Sioux salesman that's you know, sent to some place in Africa and he gets off the plane and he looks around and nobody's wearing any shoes. He calls the company and says, stop sending shoes. Nobody here wears any. Well, you can imagine he didn't do very well. They replaced him. 
The next guy gets off the plane, looks around, and to his, to his amazement, no one has any shoes. He calls the company and sends, send every shoe you have. Nobody here has any. Friends, it's all about our attitude. It's our belief and, and what we believe that God will do and what God can do. The Andrews University study concluded growing churches had these things in common. Number one, leaders had a clear vision for their church. Vision. That's why church plants are successful. Without money, without people, without a building, they got a vision. All churches start out with it. All churches, I was just this weekend with a church, coaching them through some revitalization, and, and, and less than 100 people were there on Sabbath, and it was a sanctuary that set over 400 people, and it wasn't built that long ago. I asked, why did they ever build a church of 400? Why would you build a church that would hold four or 500 people if you didn't believe that that many people could come, that you could reach that many people? Growing churches have leaders with a clear vision for their church. Growing churches have passionate commitment to soul winning. You have to have a passion for lost people. You have to be willing to try anything and everything. And if something fails, try it again. Do it differently. Don't just stop. Find something that will work. Jesus is on your side. You will not fail. You know that, that, that Ellen White talks about that statement you read, and it, it, he basically, she basically says this, there will never come a time, there will never come a time when God will forsake you, where God will turn away, where God will withhold what you need. If you are faithful and you go, God will bless you. And I believe that. And church leaders who believe that will find God will honor that kind of faith and that kind of belief. Number three is this. The leader exhibited what Kidder ended up coining faith-based optimism. Faith-based optimism. A powerful belief that if we do something, God will show up. My first conference president that went out on a limb and hired me I used to hear him stand in front of the pastors and say, pastors, God will not bless Bible studies you don't give. God will not bless an evangelistic meeting you don't hold. God will not bless a ministry you don't start. God will not bless a church plant that you don't go plant. We have to believe we have to believe that God will do it. That's why I love hanging around church planters. They believe God can do anything. I mean, think of this church, this building. Every time I pass by, I drive by an Adventist church, I almost want to pull over and just in wonder because these buildings are monuments to dreams. Nothing lives until it first lives in the heart of a dreamer. And then God will bring that dream to reality. Why is vision so important? Wait, friends, I get it. I know what it's like. You, 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 you meet with that church board, you know, that first 
that first kind of the, during that honeymoon when you walk into the church board meeting and you got all these ideas and you're so excited and, so, and, and you offer a suggestion or something comes out and somebody says, oh, that won't work. Oh, we tried that. That didn't work. And they're thinking, yeah, you're all excited, but we've been here longer than you. And we're going to be here when you're gone. And nothing's going to change. And with that kind of attitude, they're right. I mean, how in the world can God ever work in a situation like that when we don't believe that he can do something? Because here's, here's the reality. What's, this is what little I've learned in ministry is God doesn't mind doing big things as long as he's going to get the credit. God loves showing off as long as it glorifies him. Why is vision so important? Here's just a couple, of, a couple things. If anybody's interested, I'd be happy to share these with you. Vision brings order to ministry because each and every member knows where the church is headed and can contribute toward the goal. Church planners know what their mission is. They know what the vision, they know that. Ask a church that's been in decline for 10, 20, 30 years, ask them what's the vision. And you know what often they'll say? Paying the mortgage next month. For some people, that's the vision. That's the hope. That's the prayer. Vision protects unity. Vision creates unity. When there's vision, people work together to achieve that vision. Where there's no unifying vision, each believer does whatever they think is important. Vision keeps everyone focused on the same task. Vision increases effectiveness. A clear vision helps leadership to focus limited resources. It also makes measuring progress easier. Some leaders are very busy in ministry but never accomplish anything. They waste energy and resources. It results in burnout, frustration, and disappointment. Way too many of our young people feel the call to ministry. And they go through school and they're all excited and they can't wait to get into that first church. And then they meet the people. And it just zaps them. They're so full of optimism. They're so full of hope. They want to change the world. They want to lead many people to Christ. And it isn't very long before the church just takes everything out of them. And then it's just, can I survive here? for the next few years. We need a vision. Let me say this, a vision is contagious. A vision is contagious. Vision inspires sacrifice. Ask, ask people to volunteer to babysit children in your church and see how many people line up for that. But tell them, we're going to reach these children for Christ. We're going to evangelize these young people. We're going to lead them to make decisions to accept Jesus as their Savior. You know what? That's worth sacrifice. That's worth it. It inspires sacrifice. A compelling vision will inspire the members to sacrifice for the greater good. Members become much more willing to commit their time, their energy, and their finances for the preferred future. Vision excites people. Vision excites people. 
about taking risks. It, it leads people into uncharted waters, it compelling them to take chances on the uncertain. I tell you what, a church that's filled with vision is one of the most exciting places on the face of the earth. I mean, there is something about it. Every once in a while, we've got to step out. We've got to throw our legs over the side of the boat. And we've got to walk on water. We've got to do stuff we've never done. But our God has promised he will not fail. Vision creates momentum. Vision creates momentum in ministry because the vision itself motivates people passionately to move forward to achieve the vision. You see, my, my brothers and sisters, I really don't believe this is about we've got to preach better. We've got to, we've got to have more money. We've, we've got to have skills that maybe you don't have. Growing a church, the Seventh-day Adventist church has been a lay movement from the very beginning. They were not trained. They were not skilled. They figured it out. They prayed and they believed that God would do anything. You know, our early pioneers would sell their farm and move across the county just so they could win their neighbors for Christ. They didn't believe they had that ability. They believed that God would do that, that God would honor their sacrifice and their vision to do just that. There's a story I haven't told very often, but I want to tell it because it's, it relates to this. It's a story of my first church. When we had an opportunity to plant that church, I was young and I was dumb. Never read a book, never attended a seminar, church planting, wasn't even talked about that much. But I had a strong belief in God that he could do anything. Because I, my life was changed and I thought there's got to be hundreds if not thousands of people just like me. We got a group of people together and we began to dream and we began to vision and our vision in short was one year we wanted a hundred people after three years, 300 people after five years, 500 people. People thought we were crazy. You don't have those size churches in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma, a hundred people is a big church. The nerve of those people over there believing that they can do that. But we believed that God could and we prayed and we worked and we were driven by that vision. And you know what God did? On our one year anniversary, we baptized our hundredth member. On our three year anniversary within a week or two, we baptized our 300th member. And five years later, we had 500 baptisms. Yeah. Look what God did. Here's the problem. This is the rest of the story. I hung around another five years. And the attendance never got above 500. How, how could it happen? How could this fast-growing Seventh-day Adventist church, and we baptize 100 people a year, a few years. How, how could it possibly just stop? Oh, we still worked. You know what? We never had a board meeting and said we've had enough. But you know what happens? It's the same thing that happens to every other church. God blesses, and we grow, and we get a building, and we get ministries, and we get comfortable. And you know what? We never said it, but mission was accomplished. 
And there was really no more vision after that. Could that be why all churches stopped growing? Because God honored the vision and they, and they achieved it and it was my failure not to bring those people back together and say, look what God did, what could he do now? I mean, forget, we don't need a bigger church. How about three other churches that in their first year would have 100 or whatever, but I failed. I failed. You know, I believe God is calling us to have a vision for his church, for what he can do. To the God who can do abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. But we're not asking and we're not thinking. Friends, uh, Mark Batterson, a pastor in D.C., many of you know him, you read his book. I love this story. I, I want to I close with this. Because there is the safe thing and that is just to go with the flow. If we're in a in church that's plateaued or declining, it's okay, we're in good company. We're in the majority. You know, we as Christians, we like to stay in herds and flocks, as it were. But there is another way, and that is to do something different. He, he, he wrote this, Parker and I had the opportunity to check off a life goal list by paragliding over the sacred valley. Paragliding is one of those experiences that sounds amazing when your feet are firmly planted on the terra firma. But the closer you get to the cliff, the more you question whether you should be running off of it. I had a minor fear of heights, and the fear was not alleviated by my 60-second orientation given in broken English by my Peruvian tandem partner, who was half my height. His instructions? Run as fast as you can toward the cliff. That's it. As I sprinted towards the 10,000 foot drop off, one thought kept repeating itself like a broken record. This is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. But it was quickly followed by this is awesome. This is awesome. This is awesome. We ran off the cliff and caught an updraft in our parachute. The next thing I knew, we were sailing over the sacred valley at 14,000 feet. I learned that if you're not willing to put yourself in a this is crazy situation, you'll never experience the this is awesome moments. Pastors, church leaders, I want to invite you tonight. Maybe, maybe, maybe God wants to do more in your ministry than you ever thought possible. You know what? When you're chasing God's vision, you don't have to worry about failing because if you're successful, he gets the credit. And if you come up short, give that to him too. It's not on you. But we need to suit up. We need to get in the game. We need to, we need to dream big dreams. If there's ever a time for the church of God to awaken, it is today. But it'll take leaders. So I want to invite you tonight, if God is putting something on your heart, if tonight you may be one, like the, the man in the Bible, oh, I believe, but help my unbelief. But if tonight you would like to dream something big for God's kingdom, for your ministry, 
for your community. Whatever, whatever it is that God may be laying on your heart this week, as you sit in front of others sharing, sharing all this wonderful stuff, I want to challenge you to dream big. If you're willing to do that, would you come to this altar? This is a place of sacrifice, a place of commitment, a place of renewal, a place where we are nothing, but God is everything. Brothers and sisters, I, I know the state of the church can be discouraging, but there is one place where our past is not a predictor of our future, and it's the kingdom of God. God can do great things. Reflection practice is so powerful, which is why we emphasized it at the Propel Conference. So stop for a moment and think about the things Bill McClendon shared and how they could be applied to your ministry. What was the big idea for you? How will you apply this in your ministry context? What are you inspired to do? When this episode finishes, I encourage you to pause for five or 10 minutes and just let your mind wander. This reflection time can be really powerful. Well, that's it for this episode. I'd like to thank Elder Bill McClendon for joining us. This has been the Propel Podcast, inspiration and training to grow your church. The Propel Podcast is sponsored by the North Pacific Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists and is produced by the crew at Sermon View Evangelism Marketing. I'm Larry Witzel, wishing you God's richest blessing in your evangelistic journey. Please join us again next time for another episode of The Propel Podcast. Thank you.